All right, everyone, welcome to the Above Average Football Fan Podcast for above average football fans and below average football fans who want to learn more about the game, or if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy it. All right, here we are for the pin ultimate episode of the Slightly Above Average Football Podcast with our co-host, Thomas Bowen. Thanks for being here, Thomas. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. All right, so we are here, as you know, if you are a Game of Thrones fan, the pin ultimate episode is always when the cool stuff happens. So we're going to break down the spring game and what we saw. So just to give you guys a little bit of background, where this idea for a podcast came from originally, Bowen and I have been sending an email to each other for, I don't know, Thomas, better part of a decade at this point. Yeah, about so. Uh, every Monday, breaking down the Carolina game from that Saturday. Uh, so we're just going to branch this thing into doing it more with Carolina, Clemson, and a game of the week as we get in to season two. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But we are here to talk about the 2021 Garnet and Black spring game. And we're going to break this thing down by position group. And we're going to start off with the hot topic that everyone's talking about right now, and that is the quarterback position. Uh, Thomas, we'll just sort of alternate going first here. Uh, so you want to be on the hot seat first, or you want me to talk about my impressions, how you want you want to lead off, or you want, you want to go first next? I'm going to let you take this one. All right, I'll lead off here. So before I even say anything, the very first thing I want to say is I do not think, and I want to say this clearly, I do not think that Luke Doty is a bad quarterback, okay? There's a lot of people out there that are saying a lot of things about how Luke doesn't have it, he can't pass. I don't agree with that at all in any way, shape, or form. I think he is developing. I think he has some development to make. I'll talk in a little bit later in the pod about what I think our offensive philosophy is and is going to look like and how I feel like that philosophy is really going to be the reason that right now Shane Beamer has come out and said that barring something insane, at least going into fall camp, Luke Doty is our starting quarterback or it's his job to lose. So let's talk about the spring game in itself. Luke, you know, it was 100% a mixed bag for Luke Doty. He threw some balls that were really good, right on time, in stride, you know, stepped into his throw, looked very confident, and then there was a few misses that, you know, were head scratchers. He is definitely developing as a passer. The one thing everyone has to remember about Luke Doty is he is a phenomenal athlete. There is a reason he was at wide receiver at some points last year. It is not just because they had questions about his ability as a quarterback. I don't even think they had those questions. I think he's that good of an athlete that we needed somebody who could make plays for us on the edge, and he could, at least in practice and in limited times in the games, do that. So there's a double-edged sword there. When you're a high school quarterback, you have the option to use your legs and because you're an elite athlete, that can sometimes almost hold you back as a passer because there's you're going to if you're an elite athlete that's going to end up at the D1 level in the SEC, it doesn't matter where you're playing in South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, anywhere in the United States of America playing high school football, you're going to have some guys out there like me that were playing high school football too that don't belong in the same field as you. So you're going to have an advantage. So it can be a hey, my first read's not there, I'm taking off and running. And that can have an impact on you as a passer. I think Luke 
can become a very good passer. I think Luke is going to make plays with his legs that, in my opinion, right now is why he's ahead of Jason Brown, the transfer from St. Francis, on the death chart. So transitioning to Jason, obviously he was on the kind of the opposite side of things, threw some great balls, particularly to his former uh, St. Francis teammate EJ Jenkins um, for two touchdowns, one in the live game action, one in the drills, and um, just looked good. Now, he has sort of an unusual throwing motion. Uh, I'm not trying to compare him to these guys because one guy's a Hall of Famer and one guy's a Heisman Trophy candidate, and the other guy that comes to mind will probably be a Hall of Famer, will definitely be a Hall of Famer. He has that kind of quarter-arm throw push that you know looks a little bit like to me, like Danny Warfel, a little Kurt Warner-esque, little – Philip Rivers, that lower release. It's not something that you would necessarily teach a quarterback to throw that way, but it works, and it comes out quick, and it comes out accurate. And that, to me, is the biggest thing. His ball placement was so good. It was not, and granted, we saw limited action. Was it always a great spiral? Eh, not all the time. And again, Perry Orth, if you're listening to this, you know, you said one of the things that, you know, shows somebody that you know is not a, a true above-average football fan is, is guys who didn't play the quarterback position critiquing quarterbacks. So I'm going to try and stay in my lane on that. But I, I will say, to me, quick release, accurate, confident, knows where to go with the ball, at least in what he had access to in the spring. So pure passing-wise, I get why people are calling for Jason Brown. Overall athlete with Luke Doty, um, you know, and again, this is a spring game. Handcuffs are on. We're not going to hit the quarterback. We're not going to see him in the running game as much. So I think that's what gives him the edge right now and why Shane Beamer has said, hey, he's our starter going into fall camp. Thomas, what are your thoughts on what you saw? You know, uh, uh, and I do hope that Perry is listening here because I am going to critique both of these quarterbacks very heavily, and I feel like I'm very qualified to do that. Hey, man, go for it. Um, coming into this game, you know, we had seen a little bit of Doty last year, and we all know, like you said, what kind of athlete he is. One of the things that I noticed is, again, mixed bag as it may be, his passing was not stellar at all on Saturday. In fact, as, as we spoke about earlier, he reminded me, and stick with me on this, a lot of an early Connor Shaw. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is in the early days, and, and I make no mistake about it, I was not a Connor Shaw fan at all. I was sick and tired of him staring down receivers, tired of missing wide open guys on the field side, wide open guys on the boundary because he's locked in on somebody. But over time, he came along as a passer, and he had both of those skills. This is what I hope is going to happen with Doty. Sure, I hope that it comes a lot quicker than it did for Connor, but I see a lot of that. Now, one of the things that I like that they're going to, I think they're going to do with Doty, and one of the things that I would do in a situation like this where you have a quarterback who has tremendous legs and has tremendous athleticism but is not quite there as a passer, you can get by with quarterbacks like that. Gus Malzahn has made a name for himself by getting by with quarterbacks like that. I think we're going to see probably, and I saw this on Sunday as well, a lot of half-feed reads. They're not going to give him an entire defense to read. I think he's going to get a lot of high-low concepts. We'll talk about that a little bit later on one of those touchdown throws to Jenkins. Um, And I I really think 
Sure, part of it is this is still the, the end of spring, and they've only gone through essentially this is their 15th practice. So they're getting a lot thrown at them. He's learning an entirely new offense here. So we've still got all of summer for him to learn more, but it's still going to take that game experience to hit those tight windows um, and to know where he's going with it. But again, like you said, with his athleticism, that can be the X factor in a game, especially in the SEC where you've got – defensive lineman breathing down your neck and you've got nobody open or you don't know where you want to go with the ball you've at least got those wheels to get those three yards or put us in third and short where we're we're not super behind the sticks there and give us a chance to to convert that for a first down so overall I feel pretty good about Doty right now uh, particularly with the running game that we have backing him up and with the offensive line we have in front of him Uh, the good thing is is if, if Doty is not the guy or, if, heaven forbid, something happened to Doty, like you said, we've got Brown there and the wings waiting. And one of the things I did like about Brown as a passer is, of course, he does not have the athleticism and the wheels that Doty does because that's not the kind of quarterback he is. But what he does have is a lot of football smarts, and he's really decisive with his passes. Um, as you mentioned earlier, that quick, compact release, he seems to always know exactly where he's going. I also saw a lot of half-field reads with him. And again, that could be spring. They're learning a new offense. I don't know that that's going to be the case going forward. But he's very decisive with the ball. I like where he goes with it. And seemingly every time he throws the ball, he knows where it's going, and that's where he wants it to go. So I feel pretty good about the quarterbacks. Yeah, I like that. Um, those are some really good points. I mean, it's about – you know, any good offense, in my opinion, is going to be tailored to your players, not the other way around. You're not going to make your players fit in your offense. You're going to make your offense fit your players. And so I think as we get into fall camp and, and, and stuff of that nature, if Doty is the starter, I think the offensive playbook would look one way. If Jason Brown is the starter, I think it's going to look a different way. It's kind of like Connor Shaw and Dylan Thompson. You know, both at the, at the end of Connor's career, very good college passer. Dylan was more of a passer. He's not the great athlete, even though he had the nice long run against uh, Florida and got Will Muschamp fired. Uh, don't forget about the third down conversion against Clemson. Also the third down conversion where I was screaming at the television, what are you doing? There's no way you get this, and he, and he made it. Um, but that playbook was slightly different. Still Steve Spurrier's offense, but he knew – hey, we can put Connor on the edge on a little rollout, sprint out, and, and if nothing's there, he can take off and run and get us a first down. Um, and, you know, it's like you mentioned with Connor Shaw, there were times early in his time as a starter at Carolina where you as a fan are watching going, throw the ball, but then he still had enough speed and quicks and, and slipperiness to all – it's third and – Five and he gets you that seven yards. You feel like you see a tight end running a post wide open on the left side of the field, but he sneaks it for six yards, and you're like, "All right, he got it." But it is it was frustrating at times. So, but then you you fast forward to his was this his junior or senior year uh, when we had Georgia at home at night where he didn't miss a pass. That when we got up on him, twenty one to seven, I think he missed one that first half. It was a thing of beauty. Um, so you can develop under good coaches. So that's a good point. All right, transitioning now. You mentioned our running backs. Obviously, we did not see um, Kevin Harris. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd, we know what they're capable of. But, Thomas, I'm going to let you shoot first here. Talk a little bit about who we did see and what you saw from them. You know, 
I would honestly say, and I don't think this is a secret at all, I'm probably the biggest on our stable of running backs coming out of spring. Like you said, we we know what we're going to get out of Harris. He was a 1,000-yard rusher in the SEC last year. Like, he's he's when the lights are on, that's who you want. He's going to get you those extra yards. Lloyd, of course, we have not seen him play college ball, but he seems to have the it factor. He's coming back from an injury, but – it remains to be seen what he is, but we kind of know where he's at as well. But I would really, really like to talk about Zaquandre White. Uh, we saw him a lot last year, and he was a very, very good utility back. We could use him in seemingly any situation. One of the things I noticed out of him on Sunday that I didn't see as much last year was he's a lot more patient when he runs the ball this year. And it reminded me a lot of, and I'm certainly not comparing him to this guy, but reminded me of the way that Marcus Lattimore ran the ball. He didn't grab the ball and just bowl forward like Sean Carson used to do, if you remember that guy. Oh, yeah. But he's very patient. He lets blocks develop in front of him, and he sees the seams, and and he goes for those seams. I think he's also put on a little bit of weight, too. Um, I think he's a lot faster than he looks, especially if he gets in the open field. When I first started watching him on Sunday, it looked like he had a really slow step, and I thought maybe the weight was slowing him down. But as I started to watch him, he's really waiting for that play to develop and letting the blocks develop out in front of him, which is really a sign of a good running back. Um, Outside of him... Then um, Bell, who honestly, to be completely frank with you, I didn't even know who it was when he was running the ball. But between Harris and Lloyd and White and Amos, who got a couple of carries as well, and then Bell, that's five running backs right right there where you've got to have – depth in your running back room particularly in the SEC if you want to go the distance because they're going to get beat up and you're going to have to rely on them and that's another thing that's going to help Doty along as a passer is with a really strong running game behind that offensive line absolutely um you know again it's a good thing when your third string running back is the guy getting the majority of the carries in the in the spring game and he looks that impressive um very patient like you said kind of that and again, we're we're making some big comparisons for this guy. You you compared him to Marcus Lattimore. I'm about to compare him to a true all time great running back, Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion, uh, um, Hall of Famer, Marshall Falk. Marshall Falk was really great about hiding sort of behind his blockers. He he kind of always had his hand out in front of him with his hand almost on their butt steering, and then he just darted. And that was kind of what it looked like. You know, he 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 was looking for that crease, and then he was going to hit it. And, uh, again, we're not trying to say he's either one of those guys. Heck, maybe he will be. We don't know. But uh, certainly uh, not expecting that from him right now or, you know, maybe ever. And, of course, like you said, Kevin Harris. Led the SEC in rushing last year in the regular season. A nine game, or excuse me, ten game All SEC schedule. It doesn't get much better than that. He proved himself over and over again. And really, when you think about it, and I, as good as he was, and again, he didn't get the credit at the media level he deserved. But even among Carolina fans, that guy, everybody knew seven games in. That's all we had. He, he was it, and he is still rushing for 100 yards. He's still getting two touchdowns. He's still getting big gains. So, I mean, that that's impressive. And uh, so to have those two guys with – and, again, like I said, Marshawn Lloyd is kind of – he's that, that legendary figure right now, highly recruited, highly thought of, five-star, for all intensive purposes, for the very short time he was healthy, in front of Kevin Harris as the starter last spring. And – so, you know, 
that old what if factor of when we look at that, what does that mean? How good is he? Um, you know, knee injuries nowadays that people come back stronger from, thank goodness. And, and uh, you know, so there's a lot of promise there. We've got to find a way uh, to utilize really all of those guys um, because we have a lot of unknowns as we transition into the wide receiver and tight end spot. There's a lot of unknown characters there. Um, we, you know, we've got a lot of potential um, in those spots, a lot of athletes, a special athlete, uh, you know, EJ Jenkins from St. Francis, who we mentioned, I think earlier, six foot seven, 242 pounds, hybrid of a tight end slash wide receiver, truly, truly a specimen showed in limited action on Sunday to be a great athlete. Um, he's good as advertised. I, you know, I remember when I first heard about him coming to Carolina, I was like, how does this guy end up at St. Francis? Apparently he was very undersized as far as weight coming out of high school, kind of a skinnier six foot seven. I want to say they said he was 190 pounds. I mean, that's real thin. You got to be thinking maybe he, they thought, Oh, we can't put weight on this guy. But anyway, our, our, you know, maybe, uh, as Steve Spurrier used to like to say, God shines on the Gamecocks and we, we got a, a diamond in a rough. He looks the part, um, the carry on joiner looks so much more comfortable at wide receiver than he has in his time at Carolina really seemed confident in what he was doing. Um, you know, it, it's it, so for so many of us as fans, we sit and we go, I mean, just put him at wide receiver. Just put him at wide receiver. He's fast. Just put him at wide receiver. There's a lot more to it than that. There's a lot more to it than that. And he, it takes time. Um, and I, I think the light has come on as they like to say, and, I certainly believe he is going to to really uh, make an impact this year. Um, and, and, you know, we have a mixed bag at the other wide receiver spots. Now, we have some other good tight ends and, and Kevin Mullins and, and that crowd. Um, and, you know, at wide receiver, you have Josh Van. He's, he's potentially very good. You've got uh, Powers. He's potentially very good. You've got the transfer from Georgia Tech who's lightning fast. A lot of unknowns there. So that's why I say we really got to get that running get back stable going. Um, you and I were talking before we started recording. Let's say you had 60 plays on offense in a game. To me, for South Carolina to have a, a winning opportunity in any game they're playing in, that really needs to be at minimum 30-30, 30 rushes, 30 passes, probably more 40-20 running the ball and throwing it. You don't want to get right now from what we have seen in the spring into a, a passing battle. We don't need to be Mike Leach and Steve Spurrier and the like that are throwing it all over the field. If we get in that situation, we're down 21 points. That's not what we're built to do right now. And so we got to keep that in mind. Um, so, Thomas, what are your thoughts on wide receivers, tight ends? You know, I kind of hit on the uncertainty there. You know, you made a really good point about uh, Joyner, and I feel like I, I know myself, uh, I've wanted to see him really flourish in that role, and I wanted to see him really buy into that role. And I think, like you said, the light has finally come on for him. I think he can be a tremendous wide receiver. Um, I think he's getting very comfortable with the offense, and granted, this is a new offense for him, but he's very comfortable in it, just in the role of wide receiver. Honestly, I, I really hope this could end up being like a Braxton Miller situation. If you remember the former 
Ohio State quarterback turned wide receiver who just blew everybody out of the water, especially with that 360 spin move that just yeah. was unreal. Um, so we always knew that Joyner had the athleticism there. We just he just needed to fully buy into the system and and who knows if it was the old system or if it was if it was bitterness from not being the quarterback anymore regardless he is fully bought in now and I think he could be a tremendous weapon you can line him up anywhere on the field you can put him in the slot you can put him out wide uh he's the kind of guy that you want to get him the ball in open space um with Jenkins and honestly I mean, is he a tight end? Is he a wide receiver? I mean, who cares? Yeah, the dude is a giant. He's athletic. He's got size. I started to think back, and I really can't remember the last receiver that we had with his size and athleticism and his reach. His, his arm length is tremendous. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit later about some of the plays that he made. But I really think he's another guy that you can line him up as a blocker on the inside. You can get him out in space blocking. You can throw a screen pass to him. You can put it up over any DB. There's not a whole lot of DBs in the SEC that are going to have the reach and the range to keep up with his reach. So I feel really good about them there. And with the supporting cast of characters and wide receiver, I feel pretty confident. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, potential and unknowns there. Uh, like I said, and like you just said, EJ seems to be a, uh, a huge mismatch for potential uh, DBs uh, during the season. So that seems pretty positive. All right, so uh, we're going to move into the big guys up front, the offensive line. Um, the offensive line, to me, looked very strong, um, particularly that first group. Uh, the first five that were out there looked great. Um, I loved, and I, I won't get too far into this because I'll talk about it in a minute, but what I saw in our running game, I saw a variety of schemes. I saw zone inside and outside. I saw power. I saw counter, um, and I like that, and, and a diverse running game. Say what you will about Mike Bobo, and there's plenty of negatives to say, but as a rushing attack, we were pretty doggone good last year, and this is we like I said I won't get too far into this, but the this is where you're going to see the Lincoln Riley Oklahoma powered running game matched up in a in a little bit of a spread type attack um, with some under under center which I was happy to see and pistol as well um, coming through and guys just looked really good now. There's always this question when you're in the spring game because there were moments. You don't want the offensive line to just mow through the defensive line uh, in your spring game because that's not good because that means your defensive line probably isn't very good. Uh, And we didn't have that. We had a lot of success with that front group, that first group. I did see flashes, and we'll get more into it when we talk DL here next, of Zach Pickens, of Jordan Birch making plays. But – for the most part, the OL, that first five in particular, looked good. And then on the outside, when you have Kingsley and Iqbare out there rushing, he, he's going to be a problem uh, for guys to block. I remember on one particular play, uh, he, was, he came on an inside move. I, I think it was a spin. And the guard was Nichols, Jalen Nichols. And he just had his weight and his pass pro a little bit on his left leg. And the momentum that Iqbare had – and the athleticism, he gave him a little, a little shove, a little wing, and he's on the ground, and it was an easy sack. And in a game situation, it's a kill shot. Um, I mean, we can't do that anymore in football, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, but 
he just looked like a special guy. So I, I got a little bit off on the on the D line there. Second team offensive line, I thought had some some really good moments when they were in there. Biggest thing, and I mean this is true of any offensive line, stand on blocks. We would, and when the second team was in there, we would have blocks, we would have angles, we would be in good good uh, fits, and then defensive lineman slides off and, and makes a play. Offensive line in the first group did a lot better job of that. That comes with experience. And, and learning the nuances of playing college football um, as opposed to high school football, it's just a, it's a whole other game. So what do you think about the OL? Yeah, and I, I think it, you, know, you hit on a lot of the same points I would, but one of the things is with this offensive line, there, there's, there's a tremendous amount of experience there. And when you've got people like Wanham on the line that have all of that experience, you, know, you, you want to see that. You want to see good technique. You want to see things that they, they've been against this competition before. Um, and... You know, I, I was never – I was always a fan of Walford. I thought he taught good technique. Obviously, he's gone now. Uh, but these guys, we've got a lot of experience there. Um, I think I saw some good matchups with our offensive line and defensive line. But, you know, their offensive linemen, we can't praise them too much, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But, you know, I mean, it is. In the spring game, you know, the old joke is you can never lose the spring game because, you, you know, you're playing yourself. But, again, like I said – you don't want it to be a situation where you you can't stop the run on defense because unless you've got Alabama's offensive line, that's not a good sign. So, you know, there was pushback on both sides. So we can make that transition to a little bit of the DL here. And I mentioned it already, some of the, the three guys who, sh- who showed up the most to me. And, you know, here's the thing. As an offensive line guy and coach, and you know, when you run the zone, the number one way to stop the zone as a defensive line is – breaking the wall and what that means is when you're in zone you sort of are in a dance you're you're as an offensive lineman you're stepping all together in the same direction and you're trying to be a wall or a wave and and move that defensive line all in unison to make it to the next level when you have run-throughs when you have guys split that double team and at the zone at the high school level a lot of times there's a counting system going on where you know you and your buddy have number one and number two and number two might be the mic and number one's the the defensive tackle and when I go to pass off that defensive tackle to my buddy on my offensive line if he splits us the the running back's dead and, and that's what you started to see um, on occasion on that inside zone. Eric Douglas got beat here and there. But, again, Zach Pickens is Zach Pickens. You know, everybody's we, – we saw it last year. We saw him flash last year in, in, in games. And same with Jordan Birch, who was a true freshman. Um, and so those guys, again, were making plays. Um, and, and we saw other guys out there making plays. It was a battle. Um, I will say the offensive line won, but – Again, as an old, old offensive lineman, I'll tell you, in the spring, in the spring game, and, and uh, Coach Satterfield came out and talked about this, he and Coach White had talked. They kept things pretty vanilla up front. We, we weren't, they weren't twisting. They weren't slanting. It was come off the ball, two gapping, and as a defensive lineman, that's hard. It's, you know, you're, you're trying to peek for the ball, and you're getting on skates, and so that's, that's a tough move. But, you know, in a game, I think we'll see more games of uh, twists, slants, loops, that will throw off uh, the offensive line for the other team. What do you see out of the OL, or excuse me, the DL? One of the biggest things I saw and the most immediate things I saw is that Enigbare is going to be a problem for offensive lines across the SEC. That guy is so disruptive. He's so strong. But 
not just with him, but one of the things I saw out of the entire defensive line that I was really, really pleased to see because I feel like I have not seen this in a long time was playing with a lot of good technique, Mm -hmm. using their hands. Mm -hmm. They weren't just trying to get downhill and bust through the line as quick as possible. They're standing offensive linemen up. They want to see where the plays go and see where things are developing. And we really missed that out of Muschamp to be such a defensive guru. And I realize he's more of a safeties coach than a secondary coach, but he's still a defensive guy. And I felt like all the past years, our front four played with very poor technique. The ones that were good got by on sheer talent and athleticism. But I think this is going to be a lot more beneficial in the long run due to that technique. They take better angles Uh, I think when we do see some more exotic looks from them with twists and stunts, I think they're going to be really, really disruptive. And as long as those guys can stay healthy, I think they could be a really, really big force in the SEC. Absolutely, and I I, I agree with you 100%. Jimmy Lindsey, as our defensive tackle coach, um, is is highly respected. Coming out of Western Kentucky was a – uh, excuse me, I think he was at Illinois before that, but has worked in the in the past with Coach White, you know, highly respected as an up-and-comer. Then you've got uh, at defensive end and outside linebackers, you got Mike Peterson, who, who played in the league, I mean, and, and successfully and played well. And so he's going to have an impact. Um, and, you know, I even saw times in there when Tonka Hemingway was looking really strong. Um, and so the defensive line had some things. Again, the spring game – it's it's designed for fun it's and and you know it's designed to have big plays and things like that you don't want to see a, a two-yard gain because they twisted and stunted you know that's what you want to see when you're playing a regular game so you know they kind of keep it simple so it's hard you know you can't get too too down on those guys um but they had some good plays uh so when we switch into the uh into the linebackers the guy who stood out to me is Debo Williams absolutely uh that guy can move in space. We can't call him Debo 2.0 because Debo Samuel is is the man and is doing the great things in the pros, but he's the second at least. Uh, he looks like he can make some plays. And I was most impressed with him in coverage. I saw him knock down passes. I saw him make plays. He made some hits but and, and played the run well, but he made some plays in, as, a, as a cover guy that you mentioned earlier, good technique out of our defensive line that you didn't feel like you saw a whole lot of last year. I saw a really good linebacker in coverage, and that was impressive. Um, and, and something we lacked and we need. Uh, you know, he he really stood out to me. And, I mean, I'm an offensive guy. I, my, my brain and eye goes more to the offensive side of the football. But there were moments when you know, I'd, I'd see a big breakup, and I'd be like, wow, that was a heck of a – oh, God, that was, that was Debo Williams. And I think I said that to myself like five, six, seven times. That's great. And he's new to this system and, and new to this level. So, you know, to, to already stand out is big. Um, who, who else stood out to you at the linebacker spot? Yeah, I'll give you a highlight and a low light. Okay. And, and I'm, I'm going to piggyback on, on what you said about Debo uh, because he really stood out to me as well. Um, he, honestly, for the past few years, linebacker for us, that group has always been just kind of there, mm-hmm. serviceable. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had some good ones. But he, he, looks, he, he looks like a really, really smart linebacker, mm-hmm. and he plays the ball really well. But one of the things I also like about him, spring game notwithstanding and, and, and rules in place for not hitting, he reminds me a lot 
of Deacon Jones mm-hmm. in the sense that Deacon Jones always said, I want every running back to say, damn it, I'm not running it to that side again mm-hmm. because he is plays with intensity and hits hard. He plays the ball well, but in coverage, he was phenomenal. Yeah. I thought he was really good. We haven't had a coverage linebacker like that in forever. From a low-light standpoint, really disappointed in Staley. Mm-hmm. Um, he just he still continues to look out of position. He takes bad angles. Uh, he's a little flat-footed. I want to see him do well, but I think he, he leaves a lot to be desired in that linebacking core, and I think it's definitely going to be spearheaded by Williams. Yeah, and we have the transfer from Georgia State as well. Uh, number seven, he set out during the spring game. Um, Jordan uh, Stocken, Strocken, I'm going to butcher last names all the time, <laughs> um, really did a good uh, – he, he did some good things last year at Georgia State. Um, so we're going to keep moving into the secondary – you know, again, it was pretty vanilla. Um, you did see, um, you know, a mix of two high safety, one high safety. I think it was mostly man, uh, zone. I didn't, I didn't watch super closely on that front, to be honest. I saw mostly zone. Um, there was some times we rolled from two to one. Um, again, we're trying to, you know, have fun out there, catch passes. Uh, but I will say two guys stood out to me. Two guys stood out to me. One's a walk-on. If I'm not forgetting, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, Fabian Goodman, which is Andre Goodman's son, who oh, yeah. played Carolina, played the pros for 10 years, uh, I believe has a Super Bowl, uh, came from Hammond, where uh, Coach Eric Kimry, tight end coach, was. Um, obviously a decorated player in that regard. But he, number 23, he was in position. Now, there were times he got stuck. If you know what I mean, he got. You're going to talk about the high-low type reads. He didn't know what to do. He got a little unsteady, and he left two guys open, and it became an easy read for the quarterback. But that comes with experience. The other guy is um, Marcellus Dial. Marcellus Dial. He laid a hit early. Now he laid up because it was a spring game. But real game atmosphere, he's taking that guy out. It was early on. I need to do a full breakdown on those. But he he laid the wood at one point. The thing I like the most that I saw, we had times where guys looked a little confused on what they were doing, but I did not see very many passes where guys were wide open. We've seen that so much, and I'll be honest with you, even when we went to the third down situational drill, and we literally were playing with three deep men, we didn't, and that's a new trend in college football, having that three safety look almost, sitting on the marker, uh, we still had guys running with, it was a matching matchup zone type of approach where instead of that huge cushion, you know, giving a guy a seven-yard cushion, snap the ball, you backpedal. So it was – I liked that. Um, I'm really interested to see what we can see as the – we get into the season. Um, I think Coach White has some aggressive things in his arsenal that he likes to do that we're not – we didn't use, and we're not going to show, quite frankly, um, in a spring game. The one thing on both sides of the ball that we have going for us going into this fall is the unknown. There is no tape on the offense we're going to run. There is no tape other than Western Kentucky that we're going to run. And for the first couple games, that's an advantage. And I, I, I think it's smart to keep that advantage. What did you see out of the secondary? You're a little more defensive-minded than my um. You know, I, I think this is this is the group that I'm probably the the most down on coming out of the spring. I'm really concerned about secondary. I did see some flashes there. Um, 
I think, again, it was very vanilla. Um, they kept everything pretty much in front of them. Like you said, we were running a lot of high two zones, a lot of pattern matching zones, which uh, Saban likes to do a lot at Alabama. And I think also with a pattern matching zone can really help mask a little bit of some of your deficiencies in the secondary. Um, I saw some things that were disappointing, like particularly from experienced players like Roderick biting really bad on fakes. And I realize this is still the spring and, and, and they're still getting used to a lot of different schemes. Um, but the bright side of that is, as you mentioned, I didn't see a lot of where they were just so poorly out of position that it looked like Kenny Hill from A&M years ago right. playing seven-on-seven seven right. in the backyard. Right. Uh, so that was encouraging, but I still I think the secondary has a long way to go. The silver lining is, I think, with our linebackers and our front four, our front seven really, mm-hmm. I really think that can help you a lot if you've got deficiencies in your secondary. Yeah, the old saying goes, uh, you know, if you don't have a great secondary, you better have a great pass rush and vice versa. If you don't have a great pass rush, you better have a great secondary. Um, and, you know, they help each other out. And I think we have guys on defense. Here's the thing, and and I'm an offensive guy. Uh, you know, when I coached, I, I you know, obviously I wanted the ball to call plays and, and whatnot and be involved in that when I was involved in that. And, you know, to me, I hate getting dinked and dunked all the way down the field for a touchdown. And they eat up the clock. They get three-yard gain, five-yard gain, seven-yard gain, you know, uh, to me, and this is just me, yes, I'm a fan, but I, I did coach for a little while. As an offensive coach, give me the ball. If they're going to dink and dunk me to death, take that away, and if they go over our heads, at least we get the ball back. Um, and that was always my mentality. You know, defensive coordinators I've worked with and, and friends with you know, used to give me a hard time about that and tell me how ridiculous it was, but just they're going to bleed me to death. It's not going to help us any. You know, if they score in, in one minute, we get the ball back. If they score in 12 minutes, we've lost almost a whole quarter. So we might as well let them, you know, not let them score, but let's be aggressive. Let's force them to make a mistake. And I think Coach White has that mentality. I think we're going to see more blitzes. Um, and really not even blitzes. You saw it a little bit on defense. Um, two guys with their hands in the dirt, two guys standing. Then you don't, you know, there's, there's times when you cannot like that. But at the very least, then you don't know who's coming and who's not. Um, you know, that, that is a, a lot of games you can play, so to speak, on the defensive side of the ball. I'm looking forward to that. All right, so that's kind of the position-by-position position breakdown. Let's talk about some plays we saw um, and then some concept-type things. Thomas, you had two plays you really wanted to talk about in depth, and then I'll talk a little philosophy. Yeah, uh, what, one of the plays that stood out to me was uh, one of the touchdowns to Jenkins in the corner. Um, and to, to set the stage here, we're uh, on the 11-yard line on the right hash. We've got a, a, a bunch set to the left, tight on the line, and Jenkins is on the right. Um, you've got Jenkins and 35. But I don't know who that is. They're running essentially a, a high-low concept. With You've got Jenkins running to the corner of the end zone, and then you've got the other guy coming underneath here. And I, I, I really like this play because, number one, I think um, even though, if I'm correct, I think Brown threw this touchdown did, pass. Yeah. Uh, but I think this play – whether it's Brown or Doty is going to be a big bread and butter part of our passing game with the high-low concepts there because you're going to split the defense. It's going to make things a lot easier the quarterback. He's got those two reads over there. 
But the thing that I really liked about this play and really showed what a benefit Jenkins and his size can be to us is he had barely a half step on the DB or whoever was covering him and didn't even have to leave his feet for that ball. And if you've got – I mean, even if it's all Sean Jeffrey out there, he's probably got to at least hop for that ball. Mm-hmm. And Jenkins snatched that thing out like candy from a parade. And mm-hmm. I think that could be a huge, huge benefit to us, particularly in our passing game while we're trying to bring some of these young quarterbacks along. Yeah, that high-low concept, looking to one side of the field, it's really a one-man read. And, and, and it's Steve Spurrier used very similar concepts. You're putting the DB in a situation where no matter what he does, he's wrong. If it's cover two, which I think it was in that play, the DB is supposed to stay in on the flat, and and he kind of that was Fabian Goodman. That was one of his plays. He didn't he didn't look real great there, in my opinion, because he kind of got his feet stuck in mud. He didn't know if you know what he wanted to do, so he kind of left both guys open. But if he jumps down like he's supposed to, there it's wide open. If he drops and it's cover four, or he's in a cover three, even I'm pretty sure we were in a too high shell there. Look to me, be cover two. Then you take that dump, you take that dump down um, on the out, and that's uh, uh, you know you as you say you, you get your yardage and you play another down. Um, that was to me a, a version of the snag concept you see a lot of times in the air raid with a guy. In this case, it was Jenkins running that deeper corner route. You have either an in or an out right underneath that as the intermediate route. And then typically what we didn't have on that play is a bat coming out of the backfield on a swing for that hot route if you get a blitzer. Um, and so it's a, it's a high-low read. And so, yeah, that, that concept is great. It's used in so many offenses, um, and I think it will help our quarterbacks develop. Um, and you're right, E.J. Jenkins, you know, you mentioned Alshon Jeffrey. And, you know, Alshon, I think, is officially 6'3", 6'4". Um, big body, particularly when he was at Carolina, um, and he could kind of tight end his way, uh, you know, get that jump up for a rebound type basketball play, but add three more inches, and then you have EJ, and it just is a quarterback's best friend. I don't care if it's Doty, I don't care if it's Brown, I don't care who it is, find number 13, and if you're in a, a, a bad spot, unless you're throwing it across the field, across your body crazy, Throw it up to him. Give him a chance at it because he's probably going to be able to out-jump whoever's there. Yeah, I completely agree with that. There, there was uh, one other play that I did want to touch on um, that I really liked. This was uh, – we saw a lot of uh, some some Oklahoma concepts here, uh, and this was one that we ran out of the pistol, which you and I are both huge fans of the pistol, and I think there's so much you can do out of that. But this was uh, this was a throw that should have been a touchdown pass to Jenkins again, uh, but we got a pass interference on Roderick, and this is another one of those plays that I'm going to bag on Roderick on for some of the moves that he made here. But um, so you're coming out in the pistol here, and you've got your slot guy coming in a motion. We basically faked a jet sweep to him, then Doty faked the off tackle run to the running back. Jenkins is wide open coming that way, and the reason that he's so wide open is because Roderick bit tremendously on that fake, and that was all the step that he needed. Now, the problem was, had Jenkins flared out a little bit more instead of essentially running into Roderick, Mm -hmm. I think that would have been a touchdown there. Yeah, and again, um, in air raid terms, that looked a lot to me like Y cross, and, and he was the Y in that situation. And uh, if he runs that to that back pylon, um, which I think is where he kind of was supposed to go there, um, that's a touchdown. Also, earlier you mentioned the play-action fake. It also brought the linebackers up. 
and they were out of position. So you had a window at the 15-yard line on the what I like to call the elbow of that post-turn, and uh, he was open. You could see Jenkins. So we'll get into philosophy here in a second of air raid versus spread, and to me, it looked like he slows down, shows the quarterbacks, his, shows the quarterback his numbers. That's an air raid concept. Essentially, you get into a hole, you get into green grass, sit, sit and, and show the quarterback your numbers because he should find you. And it looked like Jenkins motored down for a hot second and be like, yo, I'm right here. And when he saw Doty didn't see him, he, he continued the route, which if you don't have the pass interference, it's a touchdown. If uh, EJ continues it to the back pylon, it's a touchdown. You know, so maybe that's why Roger did the PI because he was he knew, hey, I'm out of position. Absolutely. I might as well not give up six here. Um, so that kind of leads me into the, my next point. You broke down some plays. I want to talk a little concept. So when we got Shane Beamer as our head coach, he was coming from Oklahoma. Everyone was talking air raid, air raid, air raid. So if you're if you're not a slightly above average football fan and you don't know what that is, it's not plays. It's concept. It's philosophy. The air raid is a the old saying of dance who you came with, that's what the air raid is. It's carrying a very small playbook, five, six plays, uh, uh, passing concepts, and maybe two runs, and that's it. Famously, when they went to Kentucky and how Mummy and Mike Leach started all this, when they went to Kentucky, their first game, uh, Tony Franklin, who goes on to be a great air raid coach, looked to one of their other GAs at the time and was like, dude, we're going to get killed. We have seven plays. Well, one of that GA he was talking to had played co- quarterback in the air raid for Hal Mummy and for Mike Leach. And he looked at him, smiled, and said, no, no, man, we're going to be fine. Because what they do is, is you take those six plays and you run it until you don't even have to think about it. And it's every defense. Mike Leach, pure air raid, he does not care what defense you're in. If, you were a, uh, if you're a football junkie like me and you watched the XFL, when the, the most recent incarnation of it, um, incarnation of it they, when they, they had coaches mic'd up so you could hear them making calls. Some of these, even G.A. Mangus, who coached at Carolina, when you heard him make a call, it was like seven, eight words, ten words. Not when How Mummy was making calls for the Denver, uh, for the Dallas Renegades with Bob Stoops. Air Raid, it was Blue 92 Mesh, or just Blue Mesh. And Mesh is an Air Raid concept. They would carry three, six plays and run them over and over and over again. And when you do that in practice, the philosophy is very simple. It doesn't matter what you do, we know what we're doing. And you teach the court coaches, or excuse me, the wide receivers, that concept. If you get into an open space, stand there. Show the quarterback your numbers. Get your hands up and get ready for the football. The way the Kentucky AD introduced how Mummy and Mike Leach's system to the to the Kentucky fans to kind of play on Kentucky being a basketball school, he called it basketball on grass because it is not that chess match that you see in traditional spread offenses of okay, this is what they're doing. We're going to shift to do our thing. We're going to take it. It's we don't care what you're doing. We called mesh in the huddle or we called mesh from the sideline. Here we go. Let's run it. And the belief is somebody will be open because you you literally, speaking in terms of geometry, you can't cover the field with 11, well, technically seven defensive backs, or excuse me, four defensive backs, uh, maybe five if you if you keep you know one uh, as a dime. And so somebody's going to be open. And – that is that mentality. And what made Lincoln makes Lincoln Riley and Phil Longo at North Carolina is another great guy to watch do this. 
what makes their offense so unique is they took the air raid that How Mummy and Mike Leach created and made famous, where they threw it 50 and something times a game and carried the lead draw running play and maybe a screen, and that was it. And they meshed it with that passing concept of simplicity of six plays, and they brought the power run game to it. A lot of times, and this is a fun nickname, I've heard it called the power aid instead of the air raid. Very creative coaches are corny. And uh, so that's what I expected us to get when we got Coach Beamer. Um, and, you know, there were different guys that we were rumored to be getting as offensive coordinator. At one time, Lincoln Riley's brother from uh, SMU was mentioned. But we ended up with Marcus Satterfield. And I say ended up, that's not a, bad, a good way to say it. I know fans, him and Hall and Nash Teeth, he's highly respected. The guy has been with Matt Rule at three different stops, including the NFL, for a reason. Now, he's brought the passing game influence of Joe Brady with him. Of course, Joe Brady, 2019 LSU Tigers. They go undefeated, set every record in the book, win the national championship. Joe Burrow, Heisman Trophy winner, first pick overall. What people don't remember is Joe uh, Brady took what he brought to LSU from what he learned in New Orleans under Sean Payton. So it's a pro style, and it's more more of reads. Steve Spurrier and Perry Orth and I talked about this a little bit, and so did Andy Boyd and I. His idea was, I'm going to see what you're doing, and there's going to be a point of the field we're going to. If you're in cover three, I know where I'm going to look. If I'm in, if you're in cover two, that's why when Steve Spurrier was in the zone calling plays as a defensive coordinator, you might as well just pack it up because he's in your head and knows what you're going to do. He he did you know he could like think ahead of you and knew your next move. Well, that's that spread mentality. Urban Meyer's type spread of we're going to try and get in the perfect play. Urban Meyer had a rule at Florida, two high safeties were running the ball. Doesn't matter. One high safety, we're throwing it. Doesn't matter. And so, you know, they they made those checks at the line. That's more what we're seeing is those progressions. I do feel like you mentioned that half field read look and high low in uh, a safety or a DB. I think we're going to see that. It's not the full field. Bobo's old school full field, reading left to right, going one, two, three, four, and you got to go all the way back to one if you're trying to get to him. I don't think it's that. It's more of, okay, too high safety, a little more Steve Spurrier type mentality of, okay, well, they got too high safeties. We need to go to the wide side because we got these routes here. And I think you're going to see that and trying to put – the whole goal is to put a DB or two in a situation where he can't win. If he drops down on the short route, the deep route's over up the top of him. You can stretch the field vertically or horizontally. Phil Longo has famously said at North Carolina, his goal every play is to stretch you both horizontally and vertically on the field. Horizontally with formation, vertically with routes. And when he does that to you and you're in a bind, then he starts running it down your throat. And unfortunately, as Gamecocks, we all remember what they did to us (laughs) with Sam Howell as a freshman. Um, So I say all that to say, we talked earlier about about Doty being a developing passer. The thing about the air raid, and this is the best analogy I can think of, nowadays we have digital uh, phone cameras on our phones, but back in the day when you and I were kids and you had the point-and-click camera, anybody could take a picture with a point-and-click camera. Hey, playing air raid quarterback is point-and-click. Look for the open, man, open space, throw it, point-and-click. Playing a little more pro style, that's that camera that your, like your grandpa had that you had to focus and you had to set the aperture speed and you had to set the sutter speed and you had to have the flash. That was a little bit it's more complicated. It took more time to learn how to use it. That's what I think we're going to see here. Is it going to be 
true old school John Gruden West Coast read, 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 read. No, I don't think so. I do think it's half field. I do think it's looked to an area, but I also don't think it's as simple as air raid. Um, so it's going to be a little bit more Joe Brady pass game, Lincoln Riley and uh, Oklahoma run game, which is okay. Um, so all of that being said, Thomas, uh, to wrap this thing up and wrap a bow around it, who stood out to you the most in this game? Who who did you come away from the spring game going, man, that guy was impressive? I'd say Zaquandre White. Um, because, like I said, last year we saw what he could do, and I saw a lot of promise out of him. But but this spring I saw that progression, and I saw him improve a lot. And I just really think behind that experienced offensive line, I think he could just be tremendous this year for us. I, I could totally see that. I could totally see that. Mine's going to be EJ uh, Jenkins. I know that's easy because he's so monstrous. But here's the thing. You, you want to believe – Okay, we're getting this special talent that nobody knew about. That the you know diamond in the rough guy, and you don't know if you are, and we still don't know for sure. We still don't know for sure. But that guy looked the part and acted the part and could move and showed some soft hands. So he was my takeaway. Now, when we think about what are you thinking, how where's your brain about the upcoming season? You know. We went what two and eight last year. Year before that, we're what four and seven, four and eight. So we've won six games in two years as Gamecocks. New coach, new coaching staff, new offensive philosophy, some new playmakers. What are, if anything, did spring change your expectation? Align with your expectation? What are your thoughts for the fall based on what you saw on Sunday? I don't think I'm any more optimistic about the fall, but but at the same time, I'm not any more pessimistic either. Um, it's about what I expected to see, um, and I just hope that, that we see that progression throughout the summer. I still think this is probably a 500 team this fall. Yeah, I mean, i got to agree with you. I didn't see anything to tell me, oh, wow, we may be a lot better than we all thought or what, than the nation thinks. Um, but at the same time, I didn't see, oh, man, we're, we might go 0-11, like, you know, 0-12, like Lou Holtz's first year. Um, I think the one thing I liked the most, and I know this is corny and it's overused, but our guys truly looked like they were having fun. And, and you know, Will Muschamp is what it is. That time's over. It just, by the end, it didn't look that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Guys looked pretty miserable. They weren't having fun. And, you know, the end of the day, when you think about our most successful era in football at South Carolina, it was under Steve Spurrier. Steve Spurrier understood and understands football's a game. It's supposed to be fun. And I, I think that that's very much uh, the way we want to go, the way Shane Beamer, who, who, who looks up to and coached for Steve Spurrier, is going to run his program. Uh, I read something today that I found very interesting. Apparently – the coaches will have players with them during film as they're grading film. I just read that as well. And I, I think that's amazing. Um, that, is, that is very much a we mentality, you know, and can be a one-on-one session. You know, that you might see that with the quarterback at other programs where the quarterback coach and the quarterback sit down in the film room and, hey, man, you missed this read. What are you looking at? But to do it 
sounds to me like with anybody sounds pretty amazing, um, and I like it. Yeah, and I think it's it's also going to give your players more buy-in because they're going to feel like from the beginning of the week, that game plan, they're going to have buy-in and they're going to have input the entire week on that because they're with the coaches. They're breaking down the opposing team, uh, the opposing offense or defense. So it just it, it's, it's more of that team mentality, and I think it's just really going to get a lot of buy-in. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, we're going to wrap this bad boy up. Uh, remember, everybody out there listening, uh, rate, review, and subscribe. Um, we will have one more episode this season. Uh, our season finale will be Monday. I'll be talking about the draft, who won, who lost, surprises. Um, you know, we had another trade today. The Panthers traded Teddy Bridgewater, so that may change, uh, you know, who gets picked there by the Panthers at number eight. So, you know, we'll wrap that thing up, and we'll be getting into the fall. As I mentioned, when we get into the fall, Thomas and I will, on Mondays most likely, be we'll preview the coming Saturday's game, and as we get into the season, review the previous Saturday's game and what we saw, what we expect to see coming up from South Carolina, from Clemson, and from a game of the week. All right, Bowen, thanks for being here. Thanks. Enjoyed it.